But this morning, we are going to just continue in our study in the book of John, and we're talking this morning about two little words, and I'm going to, kind of interesting, it's the words, prove it, prove it. And you say, what in the, where is he going this morning? Well, we're familiar with the slogan that our neighbors to the south made famous, and that's those two little words, show me. Missouri has been known as the what state? The show me state. And uh, I've got curious about that because of the sermon this morning, so I got to looking it up. There was a U.S. congressman named Willard Duncan Vandiver who served in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1897 to 1903. He was a member of the the U.S. House Committee on Naval Affairs. And Vandiver attended an 1899 naval banquet in Philadelphia. And in a speech, they were trying to raise money for more ships and all those kind of things. And in a, in a speech, he declared, I come from a state that raises corn, cotton, cockleburs, and Democrats. And frothy eloquence neither convinces me or satisfies me. I am from Missouri. You have got to show me. <laughs> he may not have coined that phrase, but he certainly made it very, very famous and popularized it. And so uh, I think we understand. Uh, Somebody might say, well, I just don't believe anything until I can see it. That's the thought. Well, it sounds shrewd and it sounds wise and it sounds so practical. And in some cases, in many cases, it may be. But not when the proof is standing right in front of you. And his name is Jesus. He was standing right there. He's the one that just finished. Don't forget where we are in our passage. Chapter 6, as we get into it, this is where we're following up the next day, one day after the feeding of the 5,000, and one morning after he walked on the water and calmed the angry sea. And so, this is so interesting. It's given, he just got done feeding 5,000 men plus their families with a couple of sardines and five little barley buns. I'm just putting it in perspective. They probably were not sardines, but they were small fish. They were also made aware that Jesus had escaped their presence overnight by walking on the water on the stormy sea of Galilee. He joined his struggling disciples in the boat. He calmed the water and then he yanked the boat to port at Capernaum in a miraculous fashion. I'd say that he'd been showing who he was and his power ever since the very first part as he continues to show these signs. But you know, hard hearts and self-interest can make ridiculous demands. And that's what we're looking at as we talk about prove it. Let's stand together and let's read from John chapter 6, verse number 30 through verse number 40. The words are on the screen, as is our custom. Let's read together and read out loud, beginning right now. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. 
But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Folks, verse number 37 is one of the most precious jewels in all of the scripture because it says this. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's sovereignty. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That's your choice. You can come. And I pray that we understand this great passage together this morning. Father, add your blessing to the preaching and teaching of your word. And I pray that you would emblazon upon our hearts the truth of the fact that both the person and his message, Jesus and the words he spoke, are the key to the gospel and for receiving eternal life. I pray for every person here this morning. I pray for those, Lord, who are, who are dallying around with Christianity but have not committed themselves totally to the safekeeping of the Savior. I pray they would be saved. I pray for that believer, Lord, that's living at a distance, walking far away from Jesus. I pray for them that you would draw them near. Help us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, the passage we just read reveals once again that what the people wanted, as well as what Jesus was offering to them, they wanted another meal. In fact, they wanted free lunches every day for the rest of their lives. They wanted something material, tangible, earthly, and continual. Jesus had given them bread to eat. He was offering them heavenly bread that would satisfy their hunger forever, but they didn't get it. I wonder sometimes if we get it. I wonder if if we do get it. I wonder if we forget it. And I wonder if the daily grind with all of its physical needs make us forget the eternal supply of life and spiritual nourishment that God has granted to us. God has given us life. You know what, folks? Unbelief leaves people in a state of unmet need continually. Unbelief. The people, the children of Israel in the wilderness are the greatest example of unbelief. Though God had shown himself in miraculous and powerful ways on a continual basis through the manna, through the quail, through the crossing of the Red Sea, through the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, through his protection for them. Their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out, but they couldn't see it. And when it came time to just believe him and walk into Canaan, they didn't do it. They did not believe him. Unbelief leaves us in a continual state of unmet need. Now we're faced again with the fact that people want what they want and they want it right now. That's who these people are. They really liked that sack lunch they had that day and they wanted another one. So they chased him around. Jesus said that's why they had come. It says, Jesus said, I say to you in verse 26, you do not seek me because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. They're very pragmatic. They were very practical. This Jesus had done something amazing, and they said, well, if he can do it once, he can do it again. Let's chase him. And they did. And so that's what they were looking for. Now, um, 
This passage is one of those where every phrase is weighted with tremendous significance. And I, 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 I'm going to try to move along without missing the main point. But boy, some of these phrases I'm going to have to emphasize. I pray you get the point. And what is the point? Well, the point is, is that salvation is full and free and it's in the person and message of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gospel in him. It's consummated. The gospel says that Jesus is the message. He's the person. He's the message. He's the person with the message and the message is about him. So never separate Jesus from the gospel. You understand that? Jesus is the message. He is the personification of love for all of us. This case that we're looking at uh, is a case of demands of depraved humanity. And so write that on your sheet. It's a case of the, the demands of depraved humanity, verse 30 to 36. We just read that the people who ate the bread of plenty are asking for another sign. They want another miracle. That was pretty good yesterday, but let's see you do something bigger. They are making this request for a sign, a condition of faith, not remembering what he's already done, but they're making it a condition. Well, if you will do something more, we will believe in you. Show us more, something bigger, something continual, and we will believe. Now, I have to share this once again. I've shared it many times. Miracles are not guaranteed to produce faith. Miracles do guarantee a hunger for more miracles. It's so important, and if miracles were everyday occurrences, then they wouldn't be so miraculous, would they? Paul gives us a very strong warning as we come toward the end times. Listen to this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, about miracles and the preponderance of signs and wonders. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, the coming of the lawless one, speaking of the Antichrist, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. How are we going to know who he is? Well, he's coming with power and signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. It really shows up in Revelation 13, 13, speaking of the false prophet who is the partner of the Antichrist. Here's what John said about him. Same author, same human instrument as the gospel of John is in the book of Revelation. John says this. He performs great signs so that even he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So you see these words, signs, lying wonders, mock miracles. They're going to be as common as toast as we get closer and closer to the end times. Do not be buffalo. Do not be blown away. Do not, do not let your faith be set on signs and wonders. Let them be set on thus saith the word, thus saith the Lord. Jesus said to them, you didn't come because you really believe the signs. You came because you were hungry. This is a case of insolence, insolence. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, look at verse number 30. After he had said to them, they'd asked him the question, what may we do to to work the works of God? He said, well, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. Believe in me, commit yourself to me, trust me. That's the work of God. 
<laughs> I'm not going to do that. That, that, that boy, that injures my pride. I've been keeping the law, keeping the rules, doing all these things all my life. You're not going to just tell me that all I got to do. No, no, no. There's got to, you're not going to diminish my efforts. And so what did they do? They want to talk about work. They want to talk about labor. And so this insolence comes forward. They said to him, what work will you do? Well, that most recent subject had been the question, what shall we do that we can work the works of God? The answer, this is the work of God. Believe in me. They didn't like that answer. It didn't fill their stomachs. That bread they were thinking and talking to him, this is pretty much the sarcasm that we see. That bread and fish thing was yesterday. What are you going to do today? What greater work will you do? We need a sign. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. Unbelief is never satisfied no matter how much evidence is given. Unbelief. It's a condition of the heart. You can't see the light at noonday in the middle of the highway because of unbelief. It's unbelief. And so Luke 16, 31 says, those who reject the truth of God's word will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. That was Jesus speaking of Lazarus and his brothers because this is what the man, the rich man who had died said, send somebody back from the dead and they will believe. And he said, if they don't believe Moses, they're not going to believe even if somebody rises from the dead. Did anybody ever rise from the dead? Yes. What's his name? Have they believed him wholesale, yes or no? Jesus was right. They asked the question, what work are you doing that compares to Moses? These Jews began to quote scriptures to Jesus. They knew the, they knew the scriptures. They specifically quoted Psalm 78, 23. Yet he had commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven and it had rained down manna on them to eat and given them of the bread of heaven. There are many other references, but I won't belabor the point. They were so insolent, so brazen in the rejection of Jesus. They said, hey, your little magic trick yesterday fed us one meal. Well, what about this? Moses fed our forefathers 40 years morning, noon, and night. What are you going to do that compares to that? Watch out for that thing. You need, here's what they said to him. You need to up your game if you want us to believe. That's exactly what they, that's the insolence. You got to do a little more if you want. Now listen, folks, that sounds so outrageous to, uh, to us, but I've got a lot of folks that I'm dealing with right now that won't come back to church because God hadn't answered one specific prayer regarding this or that in their life. Maybe it's not his timing. Maybe the answer is no. Maybe it's not yet, or maybe I'm going to answer it in a way you're not expecting, but they're not even going to serve God because he hadn't done what they said. You got to do a little more if you want my attention. Whoa. But Jesus, in his kindness, answers them. And he says, most assuredly, there it is again, truly, truly, verily, verily, amen, amen. That's what he's saying. This is true. I say to you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. Who gave them the bread from heaven in the wilderness? Did Moses do that? God did. Wow. They were so insolent and brazen in their rejection of Jesus that they were daring him. And so they loved to point to Moses. They loved to venerate Moses. They did that all the way through the New Testament. We, we've been talking about that. The only problem is, is these very forefathers that God fed in the wilderness and Moses got the credit for, the entire time Moses led them, they complained against him, ridiculed him, rebelled and challenged every step of the way from Egypt to the plains of Moab, where they waited to enter. 
Pastor Matt pointed it out so beautifully a couple of weeks ago. Just look across the page there at verse number 45, speaking to the same crowd. He says, do not think that I shall, that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? They had a deep-rooted heart problem. Listen, I want to say to anybody and everybody, if you refuse to believe, it's not for lack of evidence because God created everything and the very air you're breathing is on loan from him. The evidence is abundant. Just look at the newborn baby and look at that life. He breathed the breath into the nostrils of Adam in the beginning and that breath continues even up to this day. And every time a baby's born, we ought to fall on our face and thank God that he's alive and he's still giving life. It's not lack of evidence. It's hard-heartedness. It's my way. It's me. It's what I want. I am my own God. Moses, he was wonderful, they thought. But Jesus said to them, you didn't believe Moses then, and you don't believe him now. It's also a case of not just insolence, but it's a case of ingratitude, verse 32 to 34. They kept giving Moses the credit for what God had done. All Moses did was this, and this, listen to, this is where Moses said about the manna that they were going to receive. This is Exodus 16, 14. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? That's what the word manna means. What is this? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you. Moses didn't take credit for the manna. They're giving him credit for it. Moses fed us for 40 years. This thing you did yesterday, that's nothing. God gave them the bread. Now here at John, the Jews are saying Moses gave them bread. And folks, we just got to stop. I got to stop right here. They were, they were just so unthankful. And this is Thanksgiving week. Everybody gets, you know, a warm fuzzy and gets thankful. And we have services and everybody gets around. The, and we ought to. And just take time to be thankful. But God is still giving us all that we need. He is supplying for our thirst and hunger. Do you ever stop and give God thanks for your food and for your drink? Do you stop? Turning thanks, as we have called it for years, turning thanks at meals is not just an old American tradition. It is what Jesus himself did at the feeding of the 5,000. He gave thanks before he fed them. Then again, do you recognize that God gives you everything, including the ability to prosper and gain wealth? This whole economy that God has given us in the United States, well, it's not doing very good. It's doing better than any other place in the world. Do you recognize that it is God who gives you everything, including the ability to prosper and gain wealth? Listen to Deuteronomy 8.18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, to earn a living, to have a salary, to make money. It's the height of ingratitude. Listen, brethren, it is the height of ingratitude to fail to honor God with the first and best of your income. Thank you, Brother Jerry. I got one amen on that one. Pastor Phil, are you talking about taking my hard-earned money 
and giving it to God in the church, offering plates, even in these uncertain times? Let me stop and think. Yes. In fact, folks, I'm dumbfounded by the idea that we can receive salvation full and free. Yet we don't personally participate in supporting the ongoing efforts so that others can be reached with the gospel. You know, obviously somebody's giving because the lights are on today. But let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If every believer gave the way you do to the ongoing work of gospel ministry, if every believer gave the way you do, would we be able to open the doors today? Would Stephanie be able to send out the missionary support to keep the missionaries preaching the gospel? If we've all got our reasons, don't we? But you know, the Bible says so clearly, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your increase. It's, it's, it's not rocket science. Plan on it. Think about it. Lord, I receive this from you. I recognize it. I love you. And I give back to you. You say, well, there's a lot of places to give. I don't have to give here at the church. That's right. But you don't eat at Wendy's and give at Burger King. Pay at Burger King. You understand me? This church has a ministry going on, and we're reaching people with the gospel. And if this is your church, help us, would you? Would you help us? How many of you believe that's the right thing to do? Say amen. Amen. Help us. Just help us. And we will give God the glory. And so I want you to just think about that. You say, well, Pastor, you just really offended me this morning with that. Not so. I'm loving you like a good shepherd. I'm loving you enough to get you ready for the judgment seat of Christ where every one of us is going to have to give an account for the deeds done in the body, what we did with our time, talent, and treasure. You know, they did something else. They kept thinking food for the stomach when Jesus was talking about food for their soul. They just couldn't get beyond the here, the now, the right here, the tangible, the in my hand. They, They couldn't get beyond that. Jesus said, look, my father, which is a confident, a constant emphasis here, identifying his father as God, therefore the son of God and divine. My father gives the true bread from heaven. It is he who's coming down. Boy, what, a, what a phrase. Look at this. It says uh, in verse number 32, most assuredly, I say to you that Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Look at it, verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down. How wonderful that he came down. You know, he didn't have to come down. Do you know that? You know, there's nobody could have made Jesus take on human flesh and come down. We we studied all about it in chapter one, but here it is again. He came down. He condescended. He put on flesh. He, He came in order to be a sacrifice. Therefore, he needed some sort of a body to die in because he couldn't die without a human body. He came down. He came down. We were never going up to God until Jesus came down to earth. He came down from his throne with the Father. He came down to a human existence. He came down from the place of highest praise and glory to a place that hated him and envied him. He came down from myriads of servant angels serving his beck and call to serve himself and to give himself a sacrifice for all men. You see, Jesus came down and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's just full of grace, isn't he? Isn't it wonderful to have a gracious Lord, one who's gracious and forgiving and kind and always receives this because he's going to say it in a minute, and him who comes to me, I will never cast out. Oh, he's so gracious, but he tells the truth. 
He's is the truth. Mm. They kept thinking of how to get fed without effort. <laughs> Look at the verse there. Verse number 34. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. They even were willing to use Kyrios as a word. They were willing to call him Lord. Oh, well, that's woof, wonderful. Lord, give us this bread always. But they weren't thinking about give us this spiritual life and eternal. They weren't thinking that. They were thinking that's why we chased you around this ocean while we this lake that's why we jumped in the boats and followed you over here give us that we believe you can give us some bread give us some more bread it's a case of ignorance letter c it's a case of ignorance verse 35 to 36 it says in 35 and jesus said to them i am the bread of life he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst but i said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe the feeding of the 5,000 was the fourth sign. The fifth was, was the one walking on the water. But the fourth sign, it gave way to the very first I am statement. And that's where we are now. We come to the first I am. There are seven of them that are used in this gospel. And if he didn't have their attention now, he certainly had it. Because to say I am is to identify himself as Jehovah. Listen to Exodus 3.14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. And here Jesus claims, I am the bread of life. Seven times in this gospel of John, that phrase I am is used with a predicate following, including the passages that we just read on the bread of life. He's called the light of the world. He's called the door. He says, I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine. Revelation chapter one, verse eight says, I am alpha and omega beginning and end the Lord who is and was and is to come the almighty. He says, I am timeless, I am infinite, I am almighty, and I've come down to you. Aren't you glad he did? He came down. I am. (laughs) Who's going to help me in life? Jesus says, I'm going to help you in life. Who's going to help me get to heaven? I am the way. Who is going to help me find my way? I am the door. I am the answer to every one of your questions. Jesus said, I am. Hmm. Verse 36 is the saddest thing of all. He says, you have seen me, but you do not believe. He says, you've been looking for evidence. You've been seeing it all along, and you've seen the one that's come down from the Father, and you've heard everything I've said, and you have rejected me. The one work that was required was that they believe in the one the Father had sent. They came, they saw, they refused to believe. No thanks. Not interested in this. We just want food, drink, supplies, healing, money, fame, fun, and lots of it. Sounds like today, doesn't it? What do I want out of life? If you ask anybody, and I mean, you hear it all the time. Well, I just want to be happy. Okay. Well, then you can grin your way into eternity. Nope. They weren't interested in this eternal life, this bread from heaven, this savior. They were interested in stuff. So finally, it's just a two-point sermon. Here it is. This is a case of the design and call of divinity. The design and call of divinity. Verse 37 to 40. I need to read it again. All that the Father give me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Boy, what collaboration. Father, 
how are we going to redeem humanity? Well, you need to go to earth and pick on a human body and you need to die for the sins of the world. Even though he said at one point, Father, is there any other way? Can this cup pass from me? Is there any other way? Even though he said that on earth, he said it again. Not my will, but thy will be done. He came in the volume of the book. It is written of me in a body you have given me. I have come to do thy will, O God. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He subjected, submitted, He yielded to the will of the Father. Don't you think we ought to yield to the will of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Yield. Oh, it is so important. He yielded. Yielded. In this passage, we see the sovereignty of God and the response of man, and we see them as companions in bringing salvation to the world through Jesus Christ. Predestination and free will seem to be, in our minds, opposites. But in God's minds, they're companions. Let me say that, and I want you to get this phrase if you don't get anything else I say today. Let me say that predestination or election is a doctrine for the redeemed. It is not a barrier to the unsaved. Predestination is a doctrine for the believer, for the redeemed. It's an encouragement that what has happened in my life is for eternity. God has ordained it, but it's not a barrier to the ones who would come to him. So important. No one ever can be saved that God has not foreknown and predestined to be his child. No one can ever be saved that does not come by faith, believing and receiving salvation full and free. Here's what I want to say. Just two thoughts to you this morning. One, that is this, verse 37, the first phrase teaches us that the chosen will come. They will come. The redeemed are God's gift to the son. In eternity past, God chose and he says, this one's going to be a gift to my son. And not one will be lost. It's unmistakable. Now I want you to look at the reinforcement of it in the very passage that we're reading. The first phrase of verse 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 39 says, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. So the first part of 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And 39 makes a guarantee about the, those people, that, he, that they will be safe, they will be secure, and he will deliver them in the resurrection on the last day. They're saved and safe, and it's eternal and predetermined by God. Amen? Amen. Now, let's get the other side of the coin. So incredibly important. The second one is that the ones who come are the chosen. What? You see, the chosen are the ones who come. And the ones who come are the chosen. You're saying, well, aren't you saying the same thing? No, I'm not. Because the second half of that verse, number 37, says this, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. They will never be rejected. Jesus, listen, this is the way this language reads right here. It's a double negative. Jesus will never, no, not ever reject those that come to him. Do you want to come to him? Come. Have you heard the call of God in your heart? Has he been wooing you by the spirit of God past your religiosity, past your personal pride, past whatever pit he might find you in? Have you heard God calling you? Have you heard him pulling at your heart? Then you can come. It's whosoever will, not whosoever won't. It's so important that we understand this. Yes, verse 44 is going to say you can't come unless God draws you. But let me say this, if you want to come, then he is drawing you. 
Are you sensing the call of God to come to Jesus? Do you wonder, what is it all about? Where am I from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Are you thirsty for something that you can't fill with any liquid? Are you hungry for something that no food will satisfy? Then come to Jesus this morning because he satisfies. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Isn't it funny how, how many times water and food show up in the scripture in a spiritual way? Listen, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. And yes, come, wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Come, he says. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, almost at the end of the Bible. I mean, verse 17, verse 21 is the last verse. Verse 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, can you hear? Can you hear the Savior calling? The spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come and let him who thirsts, there it is again, and let him, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Can you hear? Is he drawing? Or is he pulling on you? Then you're the chosen. Only the chosen can come, but the ones who come are the chosen. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. And verse number 40 is the corresponding verse that goes along with this in John chapter 6. So once again there in John 6, verse number 40, the second part of verse 37, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Verse 40, and this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him or comes to him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up on the last day. So he's going to, listen, here's what God's going to do. He's going to raise up in the resurrection to ever be in his presence. All of those he has predestined and chosen from the foundation of the world and gave to his son, he's going to raise them up. Who else is he going to raise up? Every single one who comes to Jesus by faith and comes believing. He's also going to raise them up. Why? Because they're the same people. Only the chosen enter in and only the ones who choose may enter in. How wonderful is verse 37. The crowds missed the meaning of the manna in the wilderness in their mind. It was nothing more than heavenly. It was a heavenly feed bag that was provided for the Jews. And even then they complained about it. But focus for a minute on how Jesus is pictured in the manna. I borrowed this from Warren Wiersbe in his homiletical outlines. This is so beautiful. The manna, it came from heaven at night. Jesus came from heaven when men were in darkness. It fell on the dew. Christ came born of the spirit. It was not defiled by the earth by touching the ground. Christ was sinless and separate from sinners. It was small and it was round and it was white. Small, his humility, round, his eternality. It's white, it's his purity and it was undefiled. It was sweet to the taste. I'm gonna tell you, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Amen. It had to be taken and eaten. They had to eat it. They had to internalize it. They had to take it in. That's what we have to do. Christ must be received and appropriated by faith. It came as a free gift. And Christ is the free gift of God to the whole world. There was sufficient for all. People say all the time, well, I believe in a limited atonement. Well, there wasn't a limited sacrifice because Jesus came to die for the sins of the whole world. It came as a free gift that's sufficient for all. Number nine, if you did not pick it up and you walked on it, 
And I want to say today, if you do not receive Christ, you walk on him, you reject him, and you walk on the grace of God that he has given. Hebrews 10, 26 to 31 says, there remains no more sacrifice. And if we walk on, trample under us the blood of the covenant that God has made with us, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. And it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. Number 10, it was wilderness food. Christ is our food because we're on a journey. You need to eat, folks, to get to eternity. And the food that comes down from heaven, the nourishment of your soul is Jesus. Eternal life and a continual feast. The manna was readily available to all who would receive it. (laughs) So is Jesus. Because whosoever will may come. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? They said, prove it. Folks, Jesus proved it. He came down. He took a body. He lived a perfect life. He was sinless. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. He rose again. He announced victory over death and hell and the grave. Have you believed? You see, you must receive it, appropriate it personally, individually. Call on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Is there anybody here this morning that would say, Pastor Phil, that is exactly what I need to do. I I need to not play at this Christianity. I need Jesus to be my Savior. Would you please raise, raise your hand so I can pray for you? I want to pray for you. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I see your hand, dear friend. God bless you. Is there anyone else? Just put it up where I can see it and I'll pray for you. Our Father, there's at least one person that said they want to be saved today. That they don't want to play at this. They want Jesus to be their Savior. Well, just like you came down, you sent down the manna in the wilderness. You came down for us. I pray, Father, that you would draw this person to yourself. And I pray that even now, they would give themselves to you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen.